0: I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. In recent years, many people have felt called on to be better allies to marginalized people, particularly in the workplace. Many companies are trying to establish policies regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI formalizing their stances on supporting minority employees. This usually involves employer-sponsored training by professionals, and I am joined by one of those professionals today. Romaine Wright, Program Manager for Learning and Development for Charles River, is here to share her perspective on allyship and her experience training people to be better allies. Welcome, Romaine. Hi, Mary, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. And I promise this isn't just an excuse for me to get free training from you. I didn't really want to have this. <laughs> Although that is just an added bonus.
1: (laughs) It it wouldn't bother me. I'm used to it. (laughs) All right, good.
0: All right, so can we start with your background in human resources and how you got started offering this kind of training?
1: Sure. So, my background is actually in psychology and behavioral health. I, I started wanting to be a child psychologist and Started my career in mental health and social work in in the state where I was, it was just really unstable. Mm -hmm. So, after being laid off (laughs) multiple (laughs) times and getting close to 30, I was like, oh gosh, what am I going to do with my life? I I need to figure out a different trajectory for my career. And so, after I did some reflection on what I like to do and and what I was good at, I realized the training and coaching was always there. It was always part of my job and something that I did all the way back to being a peer mentor in middle and high school. And then I discovered a a field of psychology called industrial organizational psychology, which is all about applying psychological principles in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I shifted my career and my education towards IO psychology and employee development. And here I am today, still getting to use all of my psychology chops <laughs> in my work for sure. <laughs> but that, yeah, definitely. Yes. <laughs> but um, that background also colors the way that I, you know, teach DEI concepts and, and my perspective on it because. Rather than really focusing like some professionals on the kind of intellectual understanding of definitions Mm -hmm. and things like that. My focus is always on improving interpersonal relationships, you know, interactions between people and really driving behavioral change by creating some awareness and understanding versus, you know, I don't care if you can define bias for me, but if you can recognize it in yourself, that's what I want to see. That's a fantastic perspective to bring to this, honestly. You know,
0: it, it meets people on an emotional level, which is where I think a lot of this type of discussion tends to fall anyway. You mm-hmm. know, you can rationally talk about it all day long, but, you know, when people are struggling with it, meeting them on that level is a great way to go about it. So
1: that's okay. fantastic.
0: So what is an ally from your experience?
1: Wow. So <laughs> so what I've learned. You know, just a <laughs> um, small question, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, right. What what I've learned about social constructs is uh, our understandings of them are always super complicated because we see them that way, right? We're looking at the, the outcome rather than really trying to understand them at, at the heart and the root of what they mm-hmm. are. And so with allyship, I realize that it's a challenge for people to understand because it requires us to first talk about privilege. And we don't like to talk about that, (laughs) you know, uh, because you you can't be an ally without having privilege that the other person doesn't have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, let's start talking about privilege first. Right. Because I know it's a triggering word, but again, we've got to start there if we want to talk about what allyship is. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's a triggering word I've seen because we limit it just to race and gender. So, Mm-hmm. when we hear the word privilege we're, we're thinking about you know toxic masculinity and and white privilege but it's mm-hmm. so much bigger than that you know if we we look at privilege at its core and what it means it's just s- recognizing that a person or people have some kind of power, advantage, influence, access or opportunity that others don't have
0: mm-hmm.
1: And when we look at it that way and really think about it, we can understand that there's so many different types of privilege. Some we're born with, some we can earn, but we all have it. Mm -hmm. Um, And once we realize that, we can start to become allies because it just means we're using our privilege on behalf of someone else. Mm -hmm. We know, of course, the commonly known ones that are super impactful, like, of course, race and gender and ability and orientation, but things like having a college degree, right, mm-hmm. it gives you a level of privilege in the way that you pursue your career and maybe even what you're able to achieve. Um, being a native of the place where you live mm-hmm. is a privilege <laughs> because that means you likely grew up speaking the language of the land. You likely grew up uh, or practiced the general religion of the land. You're familiar with the cultures and customs of the land. And someone coming from somewhere else has to learn those things. And so you've got some kind of excess and advantage that they don't have. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the saying it's not what you know, it's who you know. So relationships we have with other people give us privilege as well. Right. And So if I uh, know you're a colleague of mine that has an experience in something, I if I'm looking to fill a role, I may mm-hmm. reach out to you before anyone else because I know you. And so again, being an ally is just recognizing that privilege and using it on behalf of someone else. And it's super powerful, especially for folks who are, you know, in underrepresented or marginalized groups, because we don't feel like we have privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's hard to think, oh, I can, you know, I'll be an ally for someone else if I feel like I'm being oppressed. And so I know for me, it was really, really powerful and empowering when I realized I had privilege and then I could, you know, be a support and, and lift someone up that didn't have that same type.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's there's nothing that says you can't have some privilege and some obstacles. It You know, it's a complex
1: world. They could both
0: be true at the same time.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So have you like in the workplace personally observed any especially good or bad examples of someone trying
1: to be an ally without naming names? We don't need to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, No, I have a really great example of a bad one, not necessarily in my experience at work, but a friend of mine. You know, back in 2020, when all of the corporations, (laughs) including Charles River, went on a quest to become more inclusive Mm -hmm. and and decided to create ERGs, a good friend of mine's job did the same, right? They decided they wanted to have an African-American ERG, and her manager was really Mm -hmm. excited about the opportunity to have my friend lead it and felt like it was a great leadership development opportunity for her. And so she brought her into the office and shared the opportunity with her. I was very excited and was super surprised that my friend was very, very offended. Mm. Um, and the reason she was offended is because she's Jamaican, a very proud Jamaican. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't identify as an African-American. She identifies as a Jamaican-American. And and so they really struggled <laughs> <laughs> with her frustration and them not understanding it wasn't relevant to her, and they felt like they were supporting her and bolstering her and being allies for her growth and development as a black person. Mm-hmm. And she does identify as black, but she doesn't identify as African American. And and that one was really powerful for me when she shared. It. I was like, "Wow, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's 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 real. That's very real. That's a perfect example
0: because I think that." when people are trying to be allies, generally their hearts are in the right place and they are trying, mm-hmm. it's just trying isn't maybe necessarily enough. You also got to bring a lot of common sense into it and, and just think things through a little more deeply.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, understanding, have, having a conversation yeah, <laughs> with yeah, the, just with the other person, yeah. right? <laughs> just, just ask, right? Yeah, Because, you know, on the other side, a great example and probably seemingly simple example is really just speaking up for others. And I, I love the look at this in the sense, in the context of meetings, mm-hmm. because we've all been in a meeting where someone had an idea they shared and, and it was like crickets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then someone came up to them after and was like, I thought that was such a great idea. Or I'm glad you brought that up. Why didn't you say that in the meeting? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Say that in a meeting, especially if you do have that influence that that advantage in the group, right? Maybe you're a more seasoned employee and it was a newer employee that raised their hand and made the suggestion, and so using your privilege in this setting um to to support them and say, "Hey, you know what? That that could be a great idea." Or let's hear a little more about what Mary thinks, you know, (laughs) um, inviting them into the conversation. So it seems simple, but super impactful on the person who's being supported.
0: Yeah. Uh, No one usually needs to prompt me to ask me what I'm thinking. (laughs) 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 Me neither, you know. So what does it mean to be an ally in terms of company policies, you know,
1: besides meetings? (laughs) Besides meetings, yeah, you know, um, I, I want to make it clear, it, it's not much different, yeah. right? It's pretty much the same, except that th- if you're a person who has influence on company policy, the potential for the impact of your privilege, right, your allyship mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. magnified because if you have influence on company policy, that means you have a seat at the table and your voice is being heard. Now I do want to be clear because we use the phrase kind of seat at the table very casually, mm-hmm. but it's very possible. Just like I just gave in the meeting example, it's possible to have a seat at the table and still be silenced, yeah. <laughs> You still not be heard. So it's not enough to have a seat at the table. It's, are you being heard at the table? Do you have a voice? and so if you have a seat at the table and a voice where you have influence on company policy that means you have the opportunity to create equity across that organization right you you can look around at that ta- at that table and see who's missing mm-hmm. and then fill in the gap for them because they're not there mm-hmm. that requires though having relationships with those missing pieces those people those groups Um, having a relationship with them where you know what that voice is, right? You know what's important to them. You know um, what they value and what they need to feel like they're being heard. Um, Not just speaking on their behalf when you have no idea what's really important to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, So again, I see it the same way. It's just that the potential impact of that allyship is just so much more significant and greater. Yeah, that's a really good point. I have
0: caught myself not speaking up in places where I probably maybe should have because I felt like I couldn't speak for other people that weren't there. Um, Mm -hmm. But maybe it's better to just bring it up anyway and see what happens.
1: You know, it's not a bad idea Mm -hmm. because then that that brings awareness to the fact that someone's missing, Mm -hmm. right? There's a voice missing. And so maybe you can't speak on behalf of that person or that group. But then we can now know, okay, we've got to invite somebody else to this table to find out what they're thinking and, and to hear that voice that's missing. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned
0: before that everyone has some form of privilege they can use to help be an ally. And so can you expand on that? Can you give, for example, coming from human resources, a way
1: that you can be an ally? Absolutely. So I, I do want to say, right, that I know clearly what let me know I had privilege <laughs> that I didn't have before. The the African Ancestry ERG for Charles River last year, uh, we had, a, you know, we have a book club and we read this book called Professional troublemaker, right? Mm-hmm. And there, there were a couple of pages where she shared some things about spending privilege, and I was like, "What? What do you mean spending privilege?" But then afterwards, I took some time to reflect and identify the areas in which I had privilege, and then I became really intentional about it. Um, and then the places where I was already doing it right, being an ally, I was do and now I do it even more because I realized the impact. And so one of those ways is. In my my seat where I sit at Charles River, I started at a site, so I know what sites go through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I am aware of the just sheer volume of things they have to juggle to get the work done. And now in this global seat that I'm in, you know, I have a different level of access and opportunity, right? Privilege, mm-hmm. um, access and opportunity, uh, an influence on global programs and initiatives that someone at a site doesn't have because, you know, now I've got a different lens. And so when I'm involved with planning global programs and initiatives, and I have, you know, influence on what happens, I'm the one that raises my hand and says, how does this impact a site? Mm -hmm. What is it going to look like at a site? You know, how do we push this down to frontline employees Um, and, and, it's caused some some reconsideration and reevaluation of how we do things on many occasions as we had to consider that, whereas otherwise we may not have. So I'm, I'm using my privilege, my access, my influence, and my global seat to be an ally for site employees who, again, really wouldn't have a voice otherwise in that space. We've mentioned this a couple of times, ERGs standing for Employee
0: Resource Groups. I had to look up that a couple of times when people were just saying ERG this and ERG that. So I just want to make that one clear. Um, But also, can you talk a little bit about those and
1: what value they can bring for employees? Absolutely. So the employee resource groups are something that was introduced probably towards the end of 2021 for Charles River, but we're not, of course, the only corporation that has them. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. I've seen it around a lot. Yeah, they're, they're essentially, uh, some, some of them call them affinity groups or special interest groups, but uh, they're opportunities for people that have the same something, right, to come together and form a community, whether that's based on race, gender, or any way that you could possibly identify. Um, mm-hmm. These are groups that really, again, create a sense of community. And an opportunity also to build some awareness and education for others that may not identify with that group, but are interested in learning and possibly being allies for those groups. For Charles River specifically, we use our ERGs not just to have that community and kind of build that sense of belonging, but also for professional development opportunities, for networking and growth within the company, being able to connect with people that otherwise you may not have ever had a connection with or yeah. collaborated with or built a relationship with yeah. um, because they may be on the other side of the world. So it's it's been, for me, I know personally being a part of an ERG has been super impactful because- as a black woman, I don't really see a lot of faces that look like my, in my global chair. And so it's allowed me to build relationships with folks that look like me um, across Charles River. Mm-hmm. But then as, as a lead, right, I'm a co-lead for our global chapter. And so that also allows me to, again, be an ally and influence all the ways in which we manage those ERGs and provide development opportunities across the others as well. And I'm an ally as a member of other ERGs as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, since a lot of us are still working from home, um, I think that those virtual meetings can be a really great way to get the networking in that you can't get by just going to the cafeteria anymore, unfortunately. I think it also helps to make make people like you who have advanced so far more visible. And, you know, that way, if anybody has aspirations of having a career like yours, they can look to you and know that you're approachable by going to these meetings. So also pretty valuable.
1: Yeah, that's such an excellent point. And it makes me think of one of the things that the African Ancestry ERG did. Actually, a few of our ERGs, as we, again, have an emphasis on professional development, we coordinated some Clifton Strength sessions last year for interested ERGs, right, as an offered opportunity for some professional development. And, we you know, we scheduled it for the African Ancestry ERG, and I got COVID. Oh. And I was like, okay, because, you know, they were like, we want you to teach the class. And we had, you know, dozens of people signed up to take this class. I get COVID. I'm sounding like a <laughs> frog. <laughs> and I'm like... The class is tomorrow, you know, um, my colleague is available, you know, she lives in Scotland, she's available to teach the class so you guys don't have to miss it. And they were like, no, absolutely (laughs) not. You have to teach this class because, you know, one person said in my 12 years at Charles River, I've never had a black trainer. And it's so important that you be the one that teach this class Mm -hmm. for this particular group. And I was like, okay, you know, let's reschedule. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I, I get it. Because representation is so important. Yeah. So, so you know, I thought about that when, when you just made that comment. It's, it's super, it's super impactful. Um, even just to know what else is available yeah. <laughs> in general, but definitely to see someone that you identify with in a seat that you couldn't even imagine yourself in before. Yeah. Well, this kind of gets into our next question,
0: but in the previous episode of this podcast, I was talking with Elise Lewis, who is a reproductive toxicologist, and she's a woman black scientist, and just talked about the importance of not even just seeing people like her in scientific jobs, but seeing the different kinds of scientific jobs that even exist because she thought Mm -hmm. that she was gonna be a doctor because she didn't know that there were other really types of biological research out there. They're just not as well publicized. So Mm -hmm. now she makes a really big point of going into schools and encouraging, especially girls in STEM and joining all these organizations, be like, hey, you can be a doctor, sure, that's great. But there's other options out there. If you don't want to be a doctor, you don't just have to give up on science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all kinds of examples of of representation in ways like that, I suppose. But are there any special challenges in a scientific industry like Charles River that should be addressed to promote DEI?
1: Yeah, you know, so I know Elise well, and and she is definitely, you know, staking her claim in <laughs> in in growing um, uh, or creating some inclusivity in, in the scientific space that she sits in and navigates in. And I would say, from my seat. I wouldn't even consider it industry specific because there's people like Elise Rider our blazing trails where we see a lot more, at least gender diversity in scientific industry. Maybe not as much of other areas, but definitely gender. So the pendulum Mm -hmm. is swinging a bit. (laughs) Um, But from from where I sit, the the biggest challenges to DE&I for companies like Charles River is just Mm -hmm. the challenge of being a global company. And being able to offer equitable opportunity across the whole company, right? Mm-hmm. So in my seat in, you know, talent management, we struggle significantly with offering training and support mm-hmm. and consultation in the languages just that people need, right? The, the preferred languages that people want to learn in. Uh, It's a whole reason I created the facilitator network. It's like, we need to be more scalable. We need to be able to deliver all the the good stuff (laughs) in other languages because we're leaving out whole pockets of the world just because we don't have people that can teach or that can learn it Mm -hmm. in English. And then teach it in in the preferred language. So challenges like that, cultural differences, right? Because when we design solutions, we have to be mindful of the different cultural experiences yeah. and expectations that folks have across the world. Regulatory guidelines around how we talk about diversity and race and inclusivity, and and there there are some places where it's very taboo. Um, and so we're determining how we're going to handle things globally we have to manage and juggle those Mm -hmm. and then accommodating just the vast number of time zones and (laughs) schedules we have because again if we're offering development and we've got a whole side of the world who's on a different time Mm -hmm. they're sleeping when we're offering this in English you know and it's like hey what about us over here? We're, we're not getting it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a huge challenge that any company, regardless of the industry that is global, really has to deal with. And the one thing we found that's been effective is, is driving some local ownership, allowing sites and different regions to customize and tailor global initiatives and programs in a way that meets their local needs. Yeah. And letting them own it, and, and you know, really be proud of what they're delivering in collaboration with us, so we can maintain some level of of integrity of what, what's being delivered.
0: Yeah, for internal use, we created a glossary of preferred terms. So you know, things like transgender, you know, LGBTQ terminology, mm-hmm. other all kinds of other things like DEI terminology, and someone asked if we could translate it for other languages. And I said, no, (laughs) absolutely not. You cannot just take this list and verbatim translate it into Finnish Mm -hmm. or German or simplified Chinese. That has to come from the local level. We don't know their preferred terms. We don't know what's going on culturally in those places like it's one of the things
1: we can't do for them, unfortunately. Absolutely, I'm so glad that you 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 had the the, <laughs> the insight to, to uh, it stop It didn't really that. take much. They they realized like, oh
0: yeah, yeah, you're right. It was that's not a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, and a lot of our English words, especially the like emotional words, mm-hmm. they don't have equivalent translations like empower and inspire and all right. that. That means nothing, you know, in no. other languages. Yeah. Um, or there's lots of different ways to define a single word, and we've got to figure out what's the right one of that word, <laughs> you know, yeah. right version of that word to communicate what we're trying to uh, to sh- to say. So yep. I'm, again, I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I, one time I didn't catch something was there wasn't even a language
0: barrier involved. But I was working on a video project with our colleagues in Australia, which talk about time difference. I was having oh, these very yeah. early morning meetings, very late. Anyway, it was about some patients that live out in a very rural area, and they have their own kidney dialysis center mm-hmm. that they raised money for in order that they wouldn't have to leave their hometown to go far away for dialysis Mm -hmm. and I was like oh I can't wait I would love to interview these people I don't mind staying up late or getting up early and getting on a zoom and like asking them questions and they're like no (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna have them be interviewed by the people they know from the area and I'm like okay actually yeah that makes sense that makes sense I was just I really want to talk to them but they're like they don't know you they don't want to talk to you and I'm like that's very fair I'm glad they were agreeing to do it at all so Mm -hmm. I I had to hold back on that one even though I got really excited but (laughs)
1: oh oh yeah it's it's a learning curve it's been a learning curve for me as well again going from a site role to uh, being in a global role and just trying to sit back and take it all in like Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) Oh, okay I didn't know they do that in France or I didn't know (laughs) that uh you know there's a different system to use for the the you know APAC sites that we don't use over here it's it's a lot um so yeah. And it might
0: it might feel weird, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having like an open document on your computer and with like different countries listed and then taking notes about things you learn as you yeah. go along with talking with colleagues in different places. It's fine. No, we can't remember everything.
1: Anyway. That, that is <laughs> you know what, you, you're on it, right? Because when, when I teach about <laughs> things like I teach a lot about unconscious bias and all of that. And people want to know how can I be just not biased? You can't. Um, <laughs> you can't because it is impossible for you to know everything about every person that you'll ever meet for the rest of yep. your life and never offend anyone again. <laughs> it's just it's not it's not possible. <laughs> not gonna happen. No. 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 So I, I say that's actually a very very good suggestion to just keep a log of the things that you learn, and then know that when you learn something about a person. That still only represents them, you know, yeah. it doesn't speak for everyone that looks like them, that believes like them, that identifies like them. Uh, it's still just their, their perspective. Um, and there's, there's diversity in diversity, right? It's, it's diverse itself. It, there's just richness of uniqueness and individualism in how we live life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, this kind of gets into our next question of what's your advice to someone who wants to be a better ally? It kind of sounds like just stay open to getting your mind changed every once in a
1: while. Yeah. is a good start. (laughs) It is right. Being, being objective and being willing to learn and they, they say, uh, be curious. I don't really like that terminology because it implies like weirdness, you know, Mm -hmm. for the other person is strangely different. And I'm curious about them, but, um, you know, I, I definitely encourage talking to people, finding out what's important to them. You know, if you want to be an ally for an individual person, finding out if they even want you to be an ally and then what, what that means to them, um, that you support them. Because uh, it may be really, really simple, and then, you know, that we, we we have heard of the golden rule, which is treat others the way you want to be treated. But in the DEI space, we teach the platinum rule, which is treat others the way that they want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if we uh, treat people the way we want to be treated, we make a lot of assumptions about what they believe and what they what's important to them. Uh, based on our own biases and and beliefs and values and that may not be true of them (laughs) you know so yeah so you know that that's a a great rule of thumb is to just talk to a person learn about them and find out what what you can do if you would like to be an ally and again if they even want that type of support from you so we don't assume let's I'm going to gonna speak up for you in the meetings no you're not <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know um and then on the other side you know if, if you're really wanting to be a, just a ge- more general ally um spending your privilege like I said when I was introduced to the concept it was kind of mind-blowing for me um and so when you realize you know I, I encourage everybody to kind of sit back and reflect on what areas you may have some privilege and then when you realize it using that for the benefit of people who don't have it um because it's it's super empowering to know you can help others with the the access and influence and opportunity that you have that they may not
0: yeah that makes perfect sense
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for this
0: conversation. I really, really appreciate it and I can't wait to post it.
1: Awesome.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today, Romaine. No problem. Thank you.